1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And the varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers, empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptised into the one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? As it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we bestow the greater honour. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers... All suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been pretty crook 
Um, I had a bad head cold, which should have run its course in a few days, but then it went to sinusitis, and you know, that's where your head gets all filled up with muck, and you get headaches, and, and your teeth ache, and you snot, and, and then my forehead swells up like a Klingon. I can see everyone going, oh, we don't need to know this. Ugh. Right, if you, it just goes on and on. And if you've ever had sinusitis, you know what I'm talking about, and you're going, oh, you poor person. If you've never had it, well, you never want it. Okay. It's just amazing, though, how that one little insignificant part of my body, the sinuses, can affect the whole body. Uh, what other purpose of sinuses anyway? We, we never, forget about giving them a second thought, we never even give them a first thought. There's just these cavities in our head. What do they do? Well, they do have a purpose. They, they're supposed to filter and moisten the air before it goes down our trachea and into our lungs. But we don't ever give them a second thought or a first thought. But boy, oh boy, don't we know about it when they get infected. My body depends on those little cavities in my face and my forehead called sinuses. And when they're sick, the whole body is miserable. In fact, you'll probably say my whole household is miserable. Um, now, we've been studying Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, and so far you might have been a little bit surprised at, at just how much of it is really focusing on relationships within the church. You see, the best-known parts of, of, of this letter are chapters 12, 13 and 14, where Paul covers the topics of spiritual gifts and love and the church as the body. And, and we generally know these passages pretty well because, well, we preachers, we love to preach on them. It, we just love getting into these parts, like being able to share with the congregation how we're all valuable to God, how we're all parts of the body that will be working together. No, none of us are insignificant. God needs us all. Um, and to be able to then share about spiritual gifts and, and how God even though we feel that we're not up to doing stuff for God, God gives us spiritual gifts so that we do stuff that, through the Spirit that, that we can't ourselves naturally do. We love preaching on this. But the first 11 chapters of Corinthians often get totally overlooked. And those 11 chapters are very important because they prepare us to receive things of the Spirit. Unless we've learned to apply chapters 1 to 11, we are too much of the flesh to take on chapters 12, 13 and 14. A new pastor was preaching his first sermon at his new church and he preached a wonderful sermon. Repent, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand and, and everyone loved the message and, and some of them said to him afterwards, Pastor, that's the best sermon I've ever heard. That's just amazing. Anyway, the very next Sunday... This new pastor, he preached exactly the same sermon. Repent, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And that didn't really matter much because, well, most people had forgotten what he preached about the first Sunday and it was all new to them. On the third Sunday, he preached exactly the same sermon again. Repent, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And, and on the third Sunday, people start thinking, now, hang on, I think we've heard something like this before. And then on the fourth Sunday... Sure enough, repent, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And this time the church council decided they'd have to do something about this and they pulled him aside and asked him for an explanation. His answer? Yes, he was able to preach other sermons. Yes, he did have other sermons. Yes, he would love to preach those other sermons. The problem 
Well, he'd preach another message just as soon as the congregation repented. In the first 11 chapters, it may have seemed a bit repetitive. It's just kept coming and coming. Paul's been addressing a church that is broken. He's been writing to a people who are divided. They've been divided on theology, that what they understand about God. That they've been divided socially. They've been divided personally. And so much of these first 11 chapters have been about how in Christ we are one. We shouldn't be divided. Division is sin and sin of the worst kind. And if we cannot get our relationships with each other right, that means that we are of the flesh and we're not spiritual and therefore we're not ready for spiritual teaching. He told us this right back in chapter 3. In chapter 3 he said, But I, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with solid food because you weren't ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in a human way? What he's telling them is that while they are divided, they are of the flesh and not of the spirit, and therefore they're not up to spiritual teaching. And last week, at the end of chapter 11, in communion, it came to the culmination of of his message. When we are divided from our brother or sister in Christ, it's not only sinning against ourselves, it's not only sinning against others, it is sinning against the body and the blood of Jesus himself. And if when we come to worship, and specifically in communion, If we don't connect with the body, if we don't connect with the church, if we don't connect with our brothers and sisters in Christ because there is a schism, there is a split between us, we bring judgment upon ourselves. Now, now this is serious, serious stuff. And so when, and only when we're not divided, but when we are connected with our brothers and sisters in Christ, only then are we ready for deeper spiritual stuff. So, are we ready for deeper spiritual stuff? I hope we are. Because that's how chapter 12 begins. It says, now concerning spiritual stuff, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Uh, I don't know why our English translations put the word gifts in there. In the original Greek, the word gifts isn't there. In fact, it doesn't appear for another whole paragraph later, and even then it only appears amongst a group of things. It literally says, now concerning spiritual stuff, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. Or it could be translated considering concerning the spiritual man or the spiritual person. The point is, it's not only limited to gifts. And he doesn't only talk about gifts here. Yes, he does talk about gifts. But he talks about all sorts of spiritual stuff. If we're not divided, if we are united, we are ready for spiritual stuff. And one of the first spiritual truths we learn, well, it's not just about gifts. 
Uh, this is a spiritual principle for us to apply in every area of our lives. And so Paul, in his teaching, he sort of has a progression. He takes us from the un unity of the church, which he's been building on and building on and driving at home. So he takes it from the unity of the church to the diversity of worship and service. And then he takes it on to the diversity of gifts. So today we're going to be talking about diversity of worship. Different people worship God in different ways. And different denominations and even churches within the same denomination will worship God in very different ways. Some churches will take their worship straight out of a book and they follow a set order. And so the, the minister will read a few lines and then the congregation will read a few lines and then the minister will say a few more words and then the the congregation will respond and, and it's all just a set order that people are reading straight out of a book. It's called a litany. Some churches will have a traditional three or four hymn sandwich. We do that a little bit here, you know, where you sort of sing a song and then do a prayer and then sing a song and do something else and then sing a song and do something else. Some churches make the music and the singing very prominent and the prominent part of their worship. It might take up three quarters of the service or maybe even 90% of the service. Mightn't have a lot of prayer, mightn't have a lot of Bible teaching, but man, oh man, there's lots of singing and lots of music. Some churches, like this one, will give Bible teaching a very prominent place in our worship. Some churches will focus on the Pentecostal experience. Some will focus on healing. Some will focus on speaking in tongues. Some will focus on prophecy. Some churches focus on human experience. And these people will just love to share with each other what God's been doing in their life. And, and a large part of the service will be sharing. This is what's happened in my week. This is how I experienced God in my life during this week. Some churches will claim to have no set order. So, for example, the Quakers, when they first began, they got their name, the Quakers, because they would just sit in a circle with, with no order and no plan, and they would just wait for the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God came upon them, they'd start to shake. And hence their name, the Quakers. I think the Quakers are a very different denomination today. Some churches will have what I call a very carefully planned spontaneity, you know, where, where they, they want their service to come across as being spontaneous. And so they plan for this spontaneity. Different people worship God in very different ways. Now, now who's right in their worship? And who's wrong in their worship? Well, I reckon if we find ourselves asking that question, or worse still, if we come up with the answer to that question, well, let me tell you what's wrong with other people's worship and let me tell you what's right with our worship, well, then I reckon if, we, if we're those sorts of people, then I think we haven't begun to understand the body and the unity of the body and the diversity of the body much at all. Some people will see those who worship in a very set, set order, maybe straight out of a book, and, and say, oh, that's just empty religion. That's just religiousness. It's, that's not a real relationship with God. That's not genuine worship. And they make that judgment because, well, they themselves don't worship that way, and then, so they then assume that, well, other people can't possibly worship God like that. Likewise... Other people will see those who worship God with drums and electric guitars and, and, and maybe see healings or prophecies and they poo-poo it all and say, ah, that's just emotion or manipulation or, or, or they're just, it's just a concert. That's not true worship. Really? 
One day, an elderly man, a deeply spiritual man from another church, brought me a gift. He said, Michael, I meant to bring it along with me, um, but I forgot. He said, Michael, I want you to have this. And he handed me a copy of the old Anglican prayer book, the green one. And he went on to tell me about the depth of theology in that, in that book and the way that he personally connects with God in worship through the words of that prayer book and how that helps him to pray and how he connects with God. And that really opened my eyes to the fact that this man, who I know genuinely loves God with all of his heart, and how he worships God in a way that I actually find it difficult to worship. I find it difficult to worship from words in a book. But that helped me to understand that worship is more about the heart than it is about the tradition. I found that usually I can worship God in all sorts of different services, as long as my heart is focused on God. And as long as I'm not just looking to please my own senses, we can worship God in all sorts of different ways, in all sorts of different churches. Yes, it is possible to get led astray into false worship. That's called idolatry. And that's why Paul helps us to distinguish the difference between genuine Christian worship and false worship. And it's all about the place that Jesus Christ takes in our worship. In verse 3, he said, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. When our worship is centred on Jesus Christ, when our worship proclaims and praises Jesus as Lord... That's godly worship. Doesn't matter whether it comes out of a book. Doesn't matter whether it comes through the words of a song. Doesn't matter whether it comes from the words of the preacher or from the words of the scriptures. Doesn't matter where it comes from, whether it comes from a word of prophecy or a word of knowledge. To be able to proclaim that Jesus is Lord, that's spiritual worship. Now, of course... It's not just a matter of words. Anyone can make an, an empty statement, Jesus is Lord. Uh, we taught our budgie when I was a kid. We had a budgie. And we taught him to say, God is love. And he'd sit there all day, God is love. God is love. Now, did that make our budgie a Christian? Not at all. <laughs> not at all. Especially when he start, we knew he was a heretic, when he started jumbling stuff up. Because we'd also taught him to say, where's Jim? Jim's my dad's name. And he'd be there, where's Jim? Where's Jim? God is love. God is Jim. And straight away we knew this budgie's a heretic and we burnt him at the stake. No, no, we didn't. Uh, mouthing empty words don't mean anything. It's what comes from the heart. That's what spiritual worship is about. Jesus told us that the mouth is the overflow of the heart. If you're full of love for Jesus in your heart... Your mouth is the overflow point for that. And you will proclaim Jesus is Lord. You just won't keep it to yourself. You know, we sit around sort of thinking, oh, how can I do some evangelism? I, need, I feel that I have to do some evangelism and tell someone about Jesus. It's not something that we have to do as a task we set. 
We just let the love of Jesus that's in our heart overflow out through our mouth. Jesus is Lord. When you love Jesus in your heart, it'll come out your mouth. Likewise, if in your heart you don't love Jesus, you might be able to occasionally mouth Jesus as Lord, but you'll find that sometimes it'll just pop out that you use Jesus or Christ as a swear word. And so we shouldn't judge the way that other people worship God and say, oh, they're not spiritual, they're just, that's just empty religion, what they're doing. Or we shouldn't just say they're just caught up in the experience or caught up in the emotions. I guess what Paul is saying to this Corinthian church is, hey, look, in your past you have been caught up in idolatry. Now, idolatry could be quite a spiritual experience. Even in paganism, there's mysticism and, and, and miraculous stuff happens. And so he's saying, look, don't be too quick to accept that all worship is from God. Likewise, don't be accept to, quick to accept that, that all gifts are from God. But likewise, don't be too quick to reject other people's worship as being ungodly, simply because it's different to the way that we do it. And this goes for spiritual gifts in the church as well. But it's not only spiritual gifts. In verse 4, he says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Right? There's varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities. Different churches do things differently. They will have different focuses. Even within the one church, individual members will do things differently because there is a variety of gifts. There is a variety of service. There is a variety of activities. And yet it is all the activity of the one God in one church. Now we're going to be coming back to spiritual gifts over the next few weeks. We're going to be spending a number of weeks on spiritual gifts. But for, today, for today, we're going to be learning about the body. Verse 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Now we've got that, hey. That, that was a great kid story, hey. Don't you just love that picture of the body there, all made up with different parts. Church membership. Let's talk about church membership. That sounds so last century, doesn't it? I was going to say, oh, that sounds so 60s. But then I sort of realised that so many of us have never lived in the 60s. Um, so then I said, oh, it sounds so last century. Once upon a time, you became a member of a church and it was usually the denomination that your parents were members of and you would be a member of that church until the day you died. Whereas now, official church membership is largely seen as a thing of the past. Churches are often seen as providers of a service to be consumed. Some churches have hundreds of people attending every Sunday, but they might only have five or six official members just enough to satisfy the constitution and keep them registered as an organisation. 
Now, a lot of us think of church membership as getting tied up in committees and meetings and processes and constitutions. But what is church membership really about? To understand church membership properly, we have to stop thinking about it as a constitutional necessity. We've got to stop thinking about it as something which is just there to justify the existence of a church in a legal and corporate world. To understand church membership properly, we have to start thinking about it anatomically. There's a big word. Anatomically. Do you know what anatomy is? It's the study of the body. This is my body. This is my hand. This hand is a member of my body. If my hand gets cut off, I'm dismembered. My finger is a member. My ear is a member. My eye is a member. My nose is a member. My tongue is a member. My foot is a member. They are all members. Even my sinuses, those things that have been giving me grief now for weeks, are members of my body. My eye is different to my hand. My ear is different to my hand. They function differently. But my body needs my eye. It needs my ear. It needs my hand. The eye is not more important than the hand. The hand is not more important than the eye. They're just all members of the one body. Now, have you really, really thought about church membership anatomically? To the extent that if the hand disconnects from the body, the body is dismembered. The hand is dismembered. A hand that's been cut off on its own is useless. It's not even as useful as Thing off of the Adams family because at least Thing is attached to the forearm. A hand on its own will just drop to the ground and rot. It's useless. And likewise, if the body is missing a hand, then the body is not how God has designed the body to be. Now, God has designed the church to be a united body. No one member is complete on their own. We can never be complete on our own. To be complete, we have to be united together as the body. And God brings a diverse people together, a people with different gifts, a people with different passions, a people with different activities. But in Christ and in our common faith, we are united as one. It is amazing, but very strange, the way that God has designed his church. Without the unification of the Holy Spirit, we'd end up being like Frankenstein's monster. A head from here, a torso from there, this one's foot, this one's hand, and we stitch it all together with this one's ear. Not sure why Frankenstein had a bolt sticking out his head, but maybe pop that in there too for good measure. But then we'd have to be, have to be on anti-rejection drugs because we haven't got the same DNA and we're just all trying to be together, but we don't belong together. But look around you. Now, 
yeah, I'll say it again. Every time I say look around you, it sort of means, yes, you actually have to turn your head and see the people around you. Now, all these different people who you see, we are so different. We have different gifts, different skills, different backgrounds. We worship in different ways. We probably have different politics and different educational backgrounds. But God chooses to bring this diverse people of together to, bring, to create one body out of us. And as I said, without the unification of the Holy Spirit, we'd end up being like Frankenstein's monster. But with the unification of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is inside of us, we've got the same DNA. We're different, but we've got the same DNA. We've got the DNA of Jesus in our hearts. And that means we don't reject each other. It means that we feel broken if the other is not part of us. And with the unification of the Holy Spirit, praise God, we become the body of Christ. But get this, we become the body of Christ not because we're the same, but because we're different. You know, these days we seem to have entered the age of the boutique church, where churches seem to cater for a very specialised clientele. We have a church for older people, a church for younger people, a church for families, a church for young marrieds, a church for university students, or, or at, least, at least we'll have different services for these different groups, or at the very least we'll have different Bible study groups for these groups. And, and in essence, what's happening is all of the hands say, well, I'm different to the feet, but I feel really much like the hands. I'm going to get together with a group of hands. And we end up with a great big bucket of hands over here. And all of the feet say, well, I like to be with people who go places. And so all of the feet get together and we have a big bucket of feet over there. And all of the eyes like to be able to share what they've seen. And so all of the eyes get together and we've got a big bucket of eyes over there. And the sinuses, well, they're so agitating. Who wants to be with them anyway? But God designed his church to be unified in all of its diversity, to be united in faith, to be united in love, to be united in hope, united in Christ as the body of Christ. Don't ever feel that you don't belong in God's church because you're different. That's exactly why you do belong, because you're different. God made you different to other people in that body because his church needs your differences. If we were all the same, we'd be like a big bucket of useless hands or a big bucket of useless feet. We wouldn't be the body. And don't ever feel that that other person, well, that other person, they don't belong in this church. They're too different to everybody here. They'd fit much better into that church over there. They're much more like them. God has made them different because his church needs their differences. If we were all the same, we wouldn't be the body. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each one is given the manifestation for this, of the Spirit for the common good. Now we're going to take that on more and talk more about spiritual gifts over the, the next few weeks. Um, but we're going to leave that pretty much there for today.
church membership. It's not about politics. It's not about sameness. It's not about control. It's about connectedness. It's about the anatomy of God's church. It's about mutual interdependence, where I depend on you and you depend on me and we all depend upon each other because together we are insufficient. Sorry, individually we're insufficient, but together we make the whole body of Christ. And of course, Jesus is the head of the church. A lot of us just want to be connected to just the head. But we can't be just connected to the head. We have to be connected to the whole body. All, each, as members of the church. Now, I've been thinking about the human body and the different types of connectedness and connections within the human body. And there are a couple of foreign connections. In the human body, there are members, there are parasites, and there are cancers. A parasite is in the body, but it's a completely different organism. Uh, sort of like a tapeworm, right? So you know about parasites? Tapeworm lives in the body, but it, it just feeds off the blood. It's just there for its own growth and its own development. It draws its nutrients from the blood, but it's not part of the body. And some people will connect with a church on some level, but they're never a member of the body. It's an environment that they like to be in. The church might help them to grow personally or emotionally or morally, but they're not part of the anatomy because they're not connected to Christ. And they don't, they're not filled with the Spirit. They haven't yet given their lives to Jesus. They, for some reason, they like to be in the environment of the church. And they enjoy the environment. But they haven't yet given their hearts to Jesus. Now, if, if that's you, I want to encourage you. Hey, God's brought you into the environment of the church not just for you to enjoy the environment, but for you to be connected with Jesus. And I'd invite you to even today to give your heart to the Lord and to yield yourself to him. But then there's cancers. Cancers are connected to the body. In some way, they are part of the body. But then something happens and they themselves take over and the growth becomes all about themselves and not about the body. And in a church, sometimes we get fed up with other parts of the body. And our concern isn't about the rest of the body, and it's just about me personally. And as long as I'm growing, that's all that matters. Blow those others. That's not how the body is meant to be. But then there's members. My hand brushes my teeth every morning and every night. My eyes, they watch the road ahead and they make sure that my feet don't trip. My teeth chew the food for the stomach. My kidneys filter my blood. My sinuses, when they are working, filter, filter and moisten the air for my lungs. 
That's how we're supposed to work. Am I a member connected to the body, loving and caring for the body? The anatomy of a church is members who love and care for other members because in Christ we are one body. Let's pray. Oh Lord, what an amazing design your church is. Humanly speaking, we look at it and we can find ourselves wondering, how on earth could this thing possibly work? Left to our own devices, a church should soon become a monster. And yet we know by the power of your Holy Spirit, we, your church, are truly united and joined together to fulfil your good and wonderful purpose. Oh Lord, make us members, body parts that love and care for each other because we're all connected, all as part of the one body. Lord, help us to never reject another member of your body and help us to recognise our place in your body. In Jesus' name. Amen.